Glory Hole, a coming of womanhood story. Episode 2, Act 2, One is Not Enough. So there I was trying to construct a glory box for myself, this physical representation of all that I have learned and all that I am. One box? Just one? It's not enough. It's impractical. Where was I going to store this box? It'd be huge. I'd have to lug it round with me wherever I went. They'd charge me excess baggage on flights. Like, no, it's not going to work. I thought I would have liked little boxes along the way. Little toolboxes to help me get through a change or a gift box to celebrate it. Then, when I was done with that milestone, I could pack it away inside the next box. Practical, like an Ikea storage unit. Or a Matryoshka doll. The Matryoshka. We are cut from the same piece of wood. Each layer determines the next. We start small. We are strongest when we are small. Unbreakable. We grow layers, second, third, fourth and fifth skins. We split to accommodate. Open me up, look inside, full. I am you and you are me. We are cut from the same piece of wood. My body. I am 29. I have pale skin, blue eyes, sometimes they look green, short hair and faint freckles from playing in the sun when I was a kid. I would say my hands are slender, long fingers, short fingernails. They photograph poorly, so much so that my friends have made a hashtag, Bree's hand, but whenever they appear, gargantuan or claw-like in a photo. In winter, they are like ice. They blister in the joints from being so cold. In summer, they swell, and I always fear a handshake. Oh, sorry, it's sweaty. I have a firm handshake, though. I heard it's a sign of confidence. I think it became firm once I heard that. My body is soft. I don't mind it. Not like I used to. Whenever I got called fat as a teenager, my friends would reassure me by saying, no, you're not, and no, you're voluptuous, as I got older. When I looked up voluptuous for the first time, I saw that it meant curvaceous and sexually attractive. But I never really felt that. I didn't like that being sexualized meant feeling better about it. My legs are strong. I can walk for hours. I'm grateful for that. Every time I think a negative thought about how my legs look, I try to remind myself of what they do for me. My toes are crooked. They look like shrunken vegetables that have been sitting in the bottom of the fridge for too long, and I can feel calluses where I favour my weight. Again, I try to remind myself of what they do for me. Really, I am lucky. These are all parts of me you can see. There are parts of my body only few have seen. Some of these few saw them before I had. I wish I knew that my body and all its parts belonged to me and me alone. I wish I knew I was in control. 
Pretty Woman. My first memory of sex is when I was four years old and was allowed to watch the film Pretty Woman, starring Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. I was enamoured by it. Julia Roberts was mesmerising. She was goofy, had a killer sense of fashion, and above all else, she was strong. My parents had let me watch it with them, thinking the adult themes would go over my head. Some did. There is this scene where she finds Gear in the almost empty hotel bar playing the piano. He clears the room when he sees her. She walks over to him and says, Do people always do what you tell them? Then he pulls her onto the piano. Then I blacked out and I don't remember the rest. One day when I was playing Barbies in the bath with my best friend Dominique, I insisted we reenact that scene, first with our Barbie and Kendall's, and then with each other. This instance opened up a channel for conversation about sex, because Dominique had told her mum what had happened, which of course got back to my mother in a you-need-to-talk-to-your-daughter kind of way. We didn't talk about it in the way that I would have liked to. I knew from that point on that any talk of sex was to be a secret, and to find new friends to play pretty woman with. I wish my parents knew that I was capable of understanding... I wish they weren't too embarrassed to talk about sex. Kids hear the word sex or they see it. Maybe they see their pets doing it or they walk in on their parents. Maybe it's on TV or they hear about it from their peers. It's the illicitness of it that makes it so attractive. Kids notice if they do something that makes their parents or other adults uncomfortable or if they make people laugh. The combination of doing something a little bit naughty or funny is appealing. Adults have the ability to eradicate the stigma of sex by simply not laughing or scolding when a child says the word. I wish I knew more. What's more important to me looking back at that time is that I wish I had known more about my body. I was intrigued by it. As a kid, you use it so much. Everything is new and your strength is incredible. I'll never run like I did when I was four, and no matter how much yoga I do... I will never be that flexible again. Kids also have the basic vocabulary to describe everything that is going on around them. And they want to share it. Nudity was standard. Boys and girls look very similar apart from a minor appendage, and they're inquisitive, without shame. Something that annoys me is that kids aren't encouraged to take authorship of their own bodies from an early age. And they don't know the correct names for their body parts. The Body. My first glory box is called The Body. I know the name of every part. I know that it is mine. I know to ask permission before touching anyone else's body or letting anyone touch or see mine. I know that it is okay to say no. I know that it is okay to say yes. I know that sex is not a dirty word and that not everyone wants to talk about it. Like the Matryoshka doll, the foundation of any woman should be her body. Unbreakable. Dude on Twitter says, quote, I was having sex with my girlfriend when she started her period. I dumped that bitch immediately, end quote. Dear nameless dummy on Twitter, You're the reason. 
My daughter cried funeral tears when she started her period. The sudden grief all young girls feel after the matriculation from childhood and the induction into a reality that they gonna have to negotiate you and your disdain for what a woman's body can do herein begins an anatomy lesson infused with feminist politics because I hate you. <laughs> there is a thing called a uterus. It sheds itself every 28 days or so, or in my case, every 23 days. I've always been a rule breaker. That's the anatomy part I, I digress. The feminist politic part is that women know how to let things go, how to let a dying thing leave the body, how to become new, how to regenerate, how to wax and wane, not unlike the moon and tides, both of which influence how you behave, I digress. <laughs> Women have vaginas that can speak to each other. By this I mean, when we're with our friends, our sisters, our mothers, our menstrual cycles will actually sync the fuck up. <laughs> My own cervix is mad influential. Everybody I love knows how to bleed with me. Hold on to that, there's a metaphor in it. Hold on to that. But when your mother carried you, the ocean in her belly is what made you born made you possible. You had it under your tongue when you burst through her skin, wet and panting from the heat of her body, the body whose machinery you now mock on social media. That body wrapped you in everything that was miraculous about it and sung you lullabies laced in platelets, without which you wouldn't have no Twitter account at all, motherfucker, I digress. It's possible that we know the world better because of the blood that visits some of us. It interrupts our favorite white skirts and shows up at dinner parties unannounced. Blood will do that, period. It will come when you are not prepared for it. Blood does that, period. Blood is the biggest siren, and we understand that blood misbehaves. It does not wait for a hand signal or a welcome sign above the door. And when you deal in blood over and over again like we do, when it keeps returning to you, well, that makes you a warrior. And while all good generals know not to discuss battle plans with the enemy, let me say this to you, dummy, on Twitter. If there's any balance in the universe at all, you gonna be blessed with daughters. <laughs> blessed. Etymologically, blessed means to make bleed. See, now it's a lesson in linguistics. In other words, blood speaks. That's the message, stay with me. See, your daughter's gonna teach you what all men must one day come to know, that women made of moonlight magic and macabre will make you know the blood. We gonna get it all over the sheets and car seats. We gonna do that. We gonna introduce you to our insides, period. And if you are as unprepared as we sometimes are, it'll get all over you and leave a forever stain. So to my daughter, should any fool mishandle the wild geography of your body, how it rides a red running current, like any good wolf or witch, well then just bleed, boo. Give that blood a biblical name. 
something of stone and mortar. Name it after Eve's first rebellion in that garden. Name it after the last little girl to have her genitals mutilated in Kinshasa. That was this morning. Give it as many syllables as there are unreported rape cases. Name the blood something holy, something mighty, something unlanguageable, something in hieroglyphs, something that sounds like the end of the world. Name it for the roar between your legs and for the women who will not be nameless here. Just bleed anyhow. Spill your impossible scripture all over the good furniture. Bleed and bleed and bleed on everything he loves. Period. Puberty. I couldn't use tampons for years. I was too scared. I knew that I couldn't go swimming whilst wearing a pad, but one day I was faced with the option of either telling my dad I had my period or just wearing a pad in the pool and hoping for the best. After swimming, Dad took my sister and I to the pub. I didn't have a spare pad to wear, so I thought I'd risk wearing the one that had been for a dip. Please be super absorbent. Dad left my sister and I in the family section of the pub with a bowl of wedges, whilst he went and had a few drinks with his friends in the TAB. I thought I'd better check and see how my pad was doing, so I excused myself from the table. But before I got a chance to walk away, I saw the puddle of red smeared across the white vinyl seat. I sat back down immediately. My sister, four years my junior, cottoned on to my distress and had no idea what a period was. She thought I was dying because of all of the blood and wanted to rush off and get Dad. I very calmly told her to shut the fuck up and that I wasn't dying and that Dad didn't need to come over. I quickly swapped the chair whilst the wait staff weren't looking, rushed to the bathroom and vigorously tried to wash my shorts in the bathroom sink. Somehow a wet patch on my pants was less embarrassing than admitting to my dad that I had my period and that I had ruined one of the pub's chairs. I started using tampons from then on. Now, despite having countless stories of times my period has embarrassed me, when I first got my period, I was honestly really happy. I felt a part of something. Mum let me watch How to Make an American Quilt, which is a film that follows the story of a bride-to-be hearing tales of romance and sorrow from her grandmother's quilting group. There is this scene in the film where Finn, the protagonist, talks about being given a glass of red wine when she first got her period. I wanted that same experience. I thought the celebration of it and the initiation into womanhood was such a cool concept. When my pubic hair grew, I shaved it all off immediately. I was embarrassed and afraid someone might see. I stopped swimming for fear of a sneaky pube getting out. I started to use the change room instead of changing clothes in front of my friends, and I would have nightmares about forgetting to wear undies to school and people seeing my pubic hair when I was up on the monkey bars. I was completely ashamed. When the day came that I got my period, I walked up to my mum all smiles and giggles, I was only slightly disappointed when she handed me what looked like a nappy instead of a glass of red wine. I felt a part of something. I think that I rejected my body hair because I didn't know if it was normal. The way it was talked about, hidden or depicted in paintings, I thought I was strange for having it. 
because I didn't know any other girls or women who did. I wish I knew that it was as natural and as much a part of becoming a woman as menstruation. I'd like to thank Frida Kahlo and Amanda Palmer for showing me that monobrows, underarm hair and maps of Tasmania are distinguished, strong, sexy and feminine. And they are also a choice. Love yourself, period. As a girl experiences change, she should be encouraged to embrace it, to love and enjoy it, or at least be able to talk about it, especially if she is having a difficult time. No girl or woman should feel burdened by their body. They should be able to celebrate it in any way they choose. I call the second glory box, love yourself, period. It encapsulates the change and awakening a girl has in relation to her sexual organs and the insecurities that are associated with them. The first time I masturbated was shortly after getting my period. I was all of a sudden very aware of the heat between my legs. Every PG-13 film left me tingling in my seat with no idea how to release it. I couldn't Google it. It wasn't invented yet. I would hear boys talking about it at school. I looked it up in an old Oxford. I still don't get it. Then I would read about it in Dolly Doctor. Um, what's a G-spot? I was determined to find this elusive G-spot and have the big O. I remember tunnelling away. I thought I was looking for a button. I couldn't find it, so I gave up. Inside Love Yourself period is a mirror for me to look at myself look at every part of my body. A journal with a lock and a pen for me to express myself in private. A period kit. A current comprehensible and liberal sexual education manual. Virgin. When I was 15, my friend hosted a party at her older brother's house. He had a spa in the backyard. It was a pretty small party, just the girls. We hopped into our swimmers, poured glasses of passion pop and submerged ourselves in the hot tub. Oh, you know what I just realised? Bree's the only one who hasn't done it yet. (laughs) I was mortified. Growing up in the country, my peers and I were quick to boredom. Most of my friends' parents were pretty lax about everything, some of them buying alcohol for us, letting boyfriends stay over, and no curfews. But not my mum. No way. I think I still had an 8.30 bedtime. Underage drinking, sex, and teenage pregnancy was and still is common in my hometown. I remember thinking, I just have to make it through high school without getting pregnant. Everything but... When I was 14, I had a boyfriend who had already had sex, and it was something we discussed doing together. I used to message him from my mother's mobile phone, because I didn't have one yet. I was clueless as to how she found out about our grand plans. She made it near impossible for me to be alone with him. When he realised it wasn't going to happen, he broke up with me. I thought about that in the spa, swigging my passion pop and claiming, I want to wait. Over the jeans hand jobs didn't count. Validate me. My virginity made me feel unpretty. 
I felt like I had nothing to offer anyone. The only time I felt good about myself was if I had attention from boys or my friends would laugh at my jokes. I never considered or honoured my other qualities because I didn't know that I had them. From age 15 to 16, I exhausted my mother's trust. I was binge drinking, promiscuous with boys at parties, I kissed girls for the attention of boys, I lied constantly to my friends, my parents, and myself. I saw sex as validation. My urge to have sex was driven by my need for acceptance and attention. I only knew how to be desired, not how to desire. I wanted to be wanted. I didn't know that I could just want someone. I couldn't see female sexual agency anywhere. Milkshake. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard and they're like, it's better than yours, damn right, it's better than yours, I could teach you, but I have to charge. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard and they're like, it's better than yours, damn right, it's better than yours, I could teach you, but I have to charge. We all know and love the 2003 hit Milkshake by highly acclaimed 21st century artist Khalees whom I feel both helped and hindered my perception of female sexuality. I was so confused. Note the lyrics, you must maintain your charm, same time maintain your halo. Is Khalees saying that if you mix one part virgin, one part slut, that in fact makes a milkshake? That will then bring boys to said yard? It's really important that I get these boys into my yard. Any boys, I don't care, just my yard, boys, good. I naively thought that was what a woman taking charge of her sexuality looked like. It wasn't until I was older that I saw things differently. The morning after. I was 20 and living in Melbourne when I went home with a relative stranger for the first time. It was the evening before uni registration day. I remember leaving their apartment early. Makeup smeared and avoiding the glances of morning commuters. They all looked so fresh. I smiled all the way home. I look back at my student ID card and think about that night. That was the first time I felt like an adult woman in control of her sexuality. Sex, please. I call the third glory box sex, please to celebrate a girl taking charge of her sexuality. Inside this box is Sophia Wallace's 100 Natural Laws, so I know about the pleasure I am capable of. I have access to sex-positive discourse, so I can learn the safe aspects of sex as well as pleasure. Inside this box is a conversation about pleasure and consent. This box lets me know that I am the author of my own pleasure and encourages me to have a positive sexual relationship with myself first and foremost. Inside this box is the reassurance that I have more to offer than my body. Free. I've run away twice in my life. Once when I was three, another time when I was 16. My mum loves telling the story of when I ran away when I was three. She had come to pick me up from preschool. I slipped out the front gate while she was talking to my teacher and ran the kilometre home. I sat on the letterbox proud as punch that I had made it there all by myself. She never tells the story of when I ran away when I was 16. Independence. 
A person is determined legally independent in Australia at the age of 18. Your 18th year can be quite overwhelming. Most people are grappling with their final year of high school, possibly in their first serious relationship, contemplating travel or moving out of home. Then they are rewarded after all their efforts to grow up by being allowed to legally purchase beer, porn or place a bet. I think it's fair to assume everyone is consuming those things long before they are allowed to. I once walked into a sex shop in my school uniform. When the guy at the counter asked for ID, I just feigned ignorance, saying, Oh, I thought this shop was for everyone. I believe independence needs to be celebrated earlier. I call the fourth glory box independence. Inside this box is a room of my very own, with freedom to decorate it any way I choose. Inside is a chance to get away by myself. Maybe an exchange program through school, or a weekend camping trip, or to simply be able to lock my bedroom door and not be disturbed. Inside is my parents' love, trust and respect, so I can carry that with me and always feel safe. Inside are tools to express myself creatively. Inside is my freedom to make my own choices. Inside is risk and the support I need to deal with failure, so I know that it is okay to fail. Inside is someone I can talk to. Inside is someone who is proud of me. I am woman. I own my womanhood more every day. So much of who I am is because I am woman. I cannot ignore that part of myself. It is there in everything I do. I am woman in my body. I am woman in my mind. I am woman when I bleed. I am woman when I have sex. I am woman when I write, when I love, when I love what I write. I am woman when I walk, talk, sit, stand, run. I am woman when I cry during the Biggest Loser commercials. I am woman when I fear walking down the streets at night. I am woman when it hurts to see my sisters abused. I am woman when someone tells me I am not good enough. I am woman when I prove them wrong. My fifth and final glory box is called I am woman. I gift myself this box to store all my other boxes, things that I have acquired along the way and my lessons learned. I am, I am woman. The Matryoshka. We are cut from the same piece of wood. Each layer determines the next. We start small. We are strongest when we are small. Unbreakable. We grow layers, second, third, fourth and fifth skins. We split to accommodate. Open me up, look inside, full. I am you and you are me. We are cut from the same piece of wood. is recorded in Breeze Cupboard in Melbourne, Australia, Shouts to Millennial, and is produced by Laura Donnelly with music and sound production by Orcus. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Glory Hole Podcast. 
You can send us an email at gloryholepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, rate and review us on iTunes. 